Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. I worked in the White Collar Crime Squad, of course, Foreign Counterintelligence Squad, served on the Joint Terrorism Task Force, Employee Assistance Program, and the Evidence Response Team of the FBI. So I did quite a bit with the Bureau. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for Life in Accounting, a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. That clip was from Bob Alonso. Bob has had a career truly filled with a lot of variety. You'll hear it as we get into the interview that his career really has moved more into the criminology field in recent years, but he started it all with a bachelor's degree in accounting. I thought Bob would be an interesting guest for us because I like to make sure that we highlight how many different career paths that there really are for people with an accounting background. Bob covers many of those paths, as you're going to hear in his story. It even includes the FBI and the Department of Defense. If you find this episode interesting, please visit us at www.whereaccountantsgo.com to subscribe to the podcast, or of course, you can do so on your favorite podcast app as well. Also, we have a job board for the Texas area and links to all the certifications in the accounting world as well. That site is whereaccountantsgo.com. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Here's Bob Alonso, accountant, retired FBI agent, and current faculty at Texas A&M in San Antonio. Hello, Bob. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate the opportunity. Wonderful. Well, for those in our audience that have an interest in how accounting backgrounds can benefit you with the FBI or just other governmental agencies in general as well, we have another treat for you. One of our previous guests that discussed his career with the FBI, Fred Olivares, referred us to a colleague that's on the line with us today, Robert or Bob Alonso. I don't want to give away any of the details, of course, but Bob's career covers really many different career options, self-employment, some public accounting, obviously governmental agencies, but even most recently teaching at the university level. So we're really going to cover a lot of ground, which is wonderful. Bob, I want to go ahead and get started. I don't want to use up the time on the front end. How did you originally begin to think that accounting might be a good career choice in the first place? Well, Mark, accounting, I knew that this was, accounting was the lifeblood of all business. And if I learned it, learned it well, did a good job, I'd have a better chance of getting a good job to support my family. That was one of the main reasons for choosing accounting. Okay. You know, I hear frequently from our guests that it simply came down to they knew they'd always be employed or they had heard they'd always be employed. It sounds like basically that's what it came down to on your side as well? Yes, it did. My father and his father started a grocery store way back in the 30s here in San Antonio, and it was just kind of, uh, it's always been in my blood. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. I just have to ask, was it like a neighborhood grocery store? Yes, it was. It was a little mom and pop on the corner of South Flores and Sweet, right there on the south side of San Antonio. 
Neat. Okay. A little bit of San Antonio history. That's pretty yes. cool. <laughs> well, what was your first job out of college? Or did you do some internships through college? How did that work? How did you get into the employment space? My first job out of college when I graduated from St. Mary's University in accounting was uh, I went to work for Alexander Grant, which back then was one of the big eight. I'm not sure what they are now. I think it's Grant Thornton. I'm not sure. But that was my first job right out of college as an auditor and tax preparer. Okay. Oh, you did both. Yes. Yes, I did. Interesting. Okay. Well, times were different back then, I guess. <laughs> yes, they were. This was back in 1977. So, yes, things were a little bit different back then, Mark. Okay. Okay. Now, I know you opened your own business, or actually a couple of businesses. I definitely want to get into that. How long were you in public accounting before you made that move? Actually, I was in public accounting from 77 till about the mid-80s. And during that time, I was either with a big CPA firm or I had my own little tax MAS practice. Simultaneously, I had a soccer store. A partner and I opened up a retail soccer store in Leon Valley called Soccer Scene. Okay. I talked to a lot of self-employed accountants, and we've had several on the show. Sometimes they have other businesses, but generally they're a little more related. How did you end up opening a soccer store at the same time? I'm just curious what the... Sure. Well, I've been very involved with soccer officiating. In fact, I was a soccer referee for 18 years, the USSF, United States Soccer Federation, State One, and an NCAA national referee. So my interest in soccer was pretty deep. Uh, I coached for many years, and I also coached the men's varsity soccer team at St. Mary's University while I was teaching there at Junk, by the way. Okay, so you you actually have had an interest in teaching for a while as well then. I thought that was a more recent thing. Okay. Yes, I taught for about three years in the mid-'80s. And it's funny you mentioned that, Mark, because during that time, I had the soccer store. I was practicing some tax work and MAS work. I was teaching adjunct at St. Mary's, and I was coaching soccer team all at the same time. I don't remember my 30s, Mark. They just flew by. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds like you were pretty busy. Pretty busy. I was very busy, very busy. Now, was it the Department of Defense job that came next, or was there something in the middle there? No, after that, the Department of Defense job came in. That's exactly right. Okay. How did you end up? I guess, moving that direction because, at least for me, I think maybe for a lot of people, they think it's unusual to go from being self-employed, particularly with several different ventures there, Mm -hmm. to going to work for the government. I guess what was the appeal and what caused you to go that direction? Yeah, I understand that. Well, a little bit of history was the bulk of the income was coming from the soccer store, okay, during that time period. Then, in about the mid-'80s, around that time, two major soccer shoe wholesalers flooded the soccer market with soccer shoe catalogs. Well, in the retail soccer business, Mark, selling shoes is how you make money. So I could not stock the inventory in a small store required to keep up with them. So to me, that was the beginning of the end. Okay. Okay. And after that, after the store closed, things got a little hectic personally. So I decided to take a position where I could use my accounting skills, but in a different way. I still maintained my small tax practice, but wanted to do something a little bit different. That's when I applied for a job with the Department of Defense as an inventory manager. And I was managing inventory production and requirements for Air Force C-5s and C-130s. Okay. That's how I started there. Okay. For lack of a better way to ask this, is that a desk job or was it an inventory manager? Yes, that is a desk job. Absolutely. It's filling requirements and determining requirements for future engines and weapons and parts for those aircraft. That's correct. Okay. Okay. Well, I want to make sure I don't, you know, speed through parts that I shouldn't speed through. Obviously, I want to get to 
you know, some of the, the FBI experience. But mm-hmm. how long were you with the DOD? What did you like about it? You know, what, sure. what caused you to, to eventually decide to move on? Sure. Well, after a few years, I applied for and moved within the DOD, and I became a systems accountant. Shortly thereafter, I became an accounting manager, auditor, with a specific department at DOD, and I did a lot of traveling, doing audits at military bases all over the country. Then I heard of a job uh, position with a, as a financial analyst with the FBI, DOJ. I applied, went through the whole process, and about 11 months later was offered a position with the Bureau as a financial analyst here in the San Antonio's uh, field office headquarters. Okay. Did you stay in San Antonio the entire time? Because I know the FBI can move you around a little bit. Yes, I did stay. My home station was here in San Antonio, but I did quite a bit of traveling. But I was stationed out of here. Okay. What were your specialties or, I guess, area of focus while you were an analyst with the FBI? Well, I did quite a few things. I went from financial analyst to administrative supervisor then to a field intelligence supervisor as a foreign language program coordinator. I worked in a white-collar crime squad, of course, foreign counterintelligence squad, served on the Joint Terrorism Task Force, Employee Assistance Program, and the Evidence Response Team of the FBI. So I did quite a bit with the Bureau. Okay. Was that white-collar crime responsibility, I guess, was that from day one as an analyst, or is that something you sort of get promoted into? From day one as an analyst, I was working white-collar. But back then, now financial analysts and forensic accountants are embedded within squads. Back then, we had a financial analyst squad, and we assisted any squad with any type of case that involved any kind of finances. So we would be assigned to different cases in different areas. Interesting. It was almost like a shared service back then. (laughs) Yes, it was. That's how it started out. And then shortly thereafter, they started embedding analysts into specific squads, and I was embedded into the Foreign Counterintelligence Squad initially, and then the Joint Terrorism Task Force Squad. Okay. I hate to keep asking if that's a desk job or not, but is that something you had to travel for? It depends on the case, but yes, I did travel, uh, but most of it was a desk job, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Would you consider it a dangerous role? No, not in that light. No, not at all. Okay. Okay. I didn't think so, but then, you know, you never know. Sure. Yeah. I'm very ignorant about about those types of positions. I understand. So you moved into, you said, some type of field supervisor role as well? Yes. Yes, I did. But prior to that, I was administrative supervisor. Then I applied for and got a position as a uh, in the field intelligence group as a foreign language program coordinator. I supervised about 18 to 20 linguists in nine different languages, and we mainly handled FISA-type information, monitoring T3s, which are wiretaps, etc. And that was the main focus of that job. Okay. What is FISA? Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. I'm sure you've heard about that. It's in the news. It's all over the news now because of the issues going on with the Bureau and the current administration, etc., Okay. What were some of the more, I guess, exciting times during your tenure with the FBI, or what did you enjoy about it? Well, one thing that stood out to me, Mark, was that I worked a 9-11 case. Uh, It was called Pentbomb, and I worked it as a financial analyst. On 9-12, my ASAC came into my cubicle and said, Bob, pack your bags, you're going to D.C. Well, myself, along with 50 other agents and financial analysts from all around the country, immediately reported to duty at FBI headquarters. And we initiated the first terrorism finance operations section, or TFOS, at headquarters. Two months later, I was transferred to CIA headquarters at Langley, 
One month later, I was placed on a GTTF Joint Terrorism Task Force, consisting of members from FBI, CIA, State Department, Customs, and IRS. We were then deployed to the Middle East, convened at a U.S. Embassy, and planned the mission. We met with different ministers from the Middle East and provided them with information that we had obtained regarding terrorist financing episodes within their country. So that was one item that really came to light. And talking about danger, you mentioned that earlier. Yeah. Anywhere in the Middle East at that time was dangerous to Americans. How long were you there? A very, very short time. Probably about right at a month okay. or less. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I bet that was a stressful time. It was because it was a few months right after 9-11 and everyone was still gathering information. We'd, we'd gotten some good intel and we acted on it and this JTTF was formed and we flew out. There was a few JTTFs formed. They went to different Middle Eastern countries. Okay. You sent me some information in advance, of course. You had just joined the FBI a couple of years before 9-11. That's correct. That's correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you stayed quite a bit afterwards. That's correct. Yes. Okay. Okay. So you weren't shying away from the oh no, guess, not at all. Increased level of stress. Wow. Not at all. In fact, I really believe that one of the reasons, you know, when you go to an interview, Mark, you know, you're asked questions by different people, different ASACs, and and you're filling the need. Okay, you're filling the need with the bureau. And um, I was not adverse to travel, not at all, and I was not adverse to extended travel or TDYs, and I'm pretty sure that assisted in acquiring that position because what they didn't want was someone who you know, wasn't going to be willing to do the mission. And that's what we did. Okay. How do you feel like your accounting background helped you doing that job? I mean, how did it apply? And Yeah, and how did it not apply, I guess? Yeah, interesting you asked that. You know, the very first case I worked when I got to the Bureau, and again, remember I told you back then that we were a white-collar crime squad, and we were given a case from a different organization, you know, a different squad. Could have been violent crime, foreign count intel, JTTF, you name it, any squad. So the first case I was given was actually a foreign counterintelligence squad case. And I had trained as an FA with them. You know, every organization has their own method of doing things. And I had trained their method. And when I looked at this case, I was given the case, and they said, take a look at it, tell us what you think. So I went through and looked at all the material, and I kind of planned it and organized it the way I thought it would be best, provide the best information to the uh, squad leader and to the ASACs. And it was unlike anything they'd seen before. Well, my accounting background, my experience, my training, my work allowed me to organize it, plan it, and get it all laid out so that they could read it one time and know exactly from start to finish. And that's part of what, that's what accountants do. You know, we analyze things at any level, not just at terrorism level, but any level, any kind of financial level. We analyze it, we organize it, we plan it, and we do it. And I presented that report, and I think right out of the head, I got some kind of a commendation for providing it in that manner. The prosecuting attorney of the AUSA looked at that, the assistant U.S. attorney, and said, well, there isn't anything here, we don't need it, and this was very well done, and it was off to the races. Then I knew, okay, I can apply what I know, how I've learned it, to any case that I've got. So it wasn't a matter of, you got to do this, you got to do that, you have to do this. So it was a way of using your own methodology of what you'd learned, how you'd done things, and applying it there at the Bureau. So that was very, very gratifying for me to know that, hey, I can use my talents the way I, I know I can and provide a really good product. Okay. I'm a firm believer that, obviously, everybody's unique, and what 
may work really well for one individual in terms of career path is a horrible fit, you know, for someone else just because we're all different. You had spent a substantial amount of time in public accounting. And I guess, you know, the DOD work was closer in similarity, but you had spent a lot of time in public accounting before this and then then even more time with the FBI. What did you like better about the FBI work? You know, then I'm not trying to knock the other, but what did you really enjoy about that is when you contrast it to what you had done previously? I think the main thing I really enjoyed about it was you never knew what you were going to do. You never knew what kind of a case you were going to get. I was also on the evidence response team, and we did a lot of things with evidence response. We respond to any kind of catastrophe. Uh, you never knew what kind of case you were going to get, and you were able to analyze it and go forward the way you thought best. It was always a challenge, something new every day, every day. I really, really enjoyed that. Interesting. So I'm not sure a lot of people would equate governmental-related positions to a lot of freedom to use your own judgment, but but you're saying you got to make the call. And... You got to make the call in that okay. you were the expert, you were the forensic accountant, you're the financial analyst looking at those records. My work with Alexander Grant, I also did a couple of investigative audits, and I really enjoyed those because I was looking for stuff. I was looking for patterns. What is where? What are they doing? How are they doing it? Well, that fit right into the bureau because that's pretty much everything we did. Somebody did something wrong. We're looking at the records or allegedly did something wrong. We're looking at the records to see what they did and how they did it and how much. So you're able to use your experience and your creativity to get things done. Remember, when you go into the bureau and you've got a specialty, you're the man. You're the person. You're the one that's going to be telling them, okay, this is what I have found and here's the proof of that. So you're able to really be creative and expand on what you can do. Okay. What level were you at when you decided to move on out of the FBI? What was your role at that point? At that point, I was a supervisor in the field intelligence group. Okay. Supervisor. So what is a typical day or week like? for a supervisor in the field intelligence group? Wow. Well, (laughs) supervising about 18 to 19 linguists in different languages, it was a matter of organizing work for them, keeping them busy. And then if you've ever run any kind of an office or any kind of a department, a lot of personnel matters, scheduling, receiving work, planning, sending people TDY to fill gaps. San Antonio Headquarters Division runs from Waco down to the valley. So we had people going everywhere all the time. And in that role as a field intelligence supervisor, I was sending linguists all over, not just in our district, in our area, but all over the nation. Because Spanish is a critical language, and we have a lot of Spanish linguists here, as well as other languages. But what we were finding was that linguists up north didn't really understand some of the jargon of some of the gang members or other organized crime groups going up north talking a specific type of Spanish. So our linguists who grew up with this here and who know it would be sent up there and they could decipher that type of Spanish right away. So anyway, I was sending people all over. It was a pretty hectic job, always in demand. Interesting. I guess like a lot of roles by that point, you're really more of a a manager and you're managing people versus doing a lot of the technical work yourself. (laughs) That's exactly correct. And apart from that, Mark, and maybe you know this, and I'm sure you do, I'm sure all accountants know this, reports, right? You have to write reports. What happened last week, the month before, whatever. Constant reports reporting upwards. Well, we're no different. Our headquarters is always requiring reports of all types, 
weekly, monthly, dailies, you name it. So compiling that information is part of the job of being a supervisor with the Bureau. Okay. Okay. So now you left the Bureau in 2010, is that right? That's correct. That's correct. I retired in December 2010. Now, prior to that, in 2009, one of my bosses, my ASAC, allowed me to teach adjunct as an adjunct professor at Texas A&M University, San Antonio. At that time, A&M University, San Antonio was a small university just getting off the ground. And I taught a class. I think it was white-collar crime class about that. (laughs) And he allowed me to teach that during the time that I was working at the Bureau. It was not on Bureau time. It was always in the evenings. And he knew that I was on my way out Uh, the following year. I'd already told him I'm planning on retiring. So that that next year in 2010, I got a job at St. Mary's University as a director of one of their programs. And I was teaching in their grad school, foreign policy, and border security issues. A year later, Texas A&M University, San Antonio, came back and offered me a position with them, and I took it. And I've been teaching there ever since. Okay. Are you full-time? or well? Yes, I am. Okay. I am full-time. And I teach about seven or eight different criminology-type classes. So nothing in accounting, huh? Nothing in accounting. I teach a white-collar crime class. I teach an organized crime class. I teach within, usually within just about all my crim classes, there is some type of business-related but nothing specific to accounting. Now, having said that, I'm also a certified fraud examiner, and I'm in the process of developing a class that may be cross-listed with a business school in their accounting department, CFE and accounting. We're in the process of developing that class. Okay. Interesting. So the courses you're teaching are all leading into like a public administration degree or criminology? or Criminology degree. Criminology, criminology. and criminal justice. Yes, sir. Okay. I also do a private investigation work. I'm a private investigator in the state of Texas, and I do mainly investigations of a financial nature. Okay. Yeah, actually, Fred was mentioning some related work. It sounds like that's a common path for a retired FBI. <laughs> uh, yes, it is. Yes, it is. And again, you know, you develop the skills and you learn how to plan, organize, etc. and that's what it is. Interesting stuff. Interesting. And to think you started all this with a bachelor's degree in accounting. That's correct. That's correct. I just knew that that business degree, that accounting degree, it's the lifeblood of business, Mark, and you know this. If you learn accounting, you're going to understand business. And there's so many ways to go in business. But anyone that's got an accounting degree, in my opinion, I think has a leg up and that they can see the 30,000-foot view of a business. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and it benefits you a lot in the fraud investigation. Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. Perfect. You know, I try to ask as many guests as possible this question because it was actually suggested by one of our listeners. You've done so many things. If you could go back in time and give your younger self just one piece of advice, what do you think that might be? Never too late to try something new and to always challenge yourself. That's what I would tell my younger self. I kind of had a rocky start in college. After two years, I got out and then went back later realizing, no, I've got to do something better. So that would be it. Try something new and challenge yourself. It's never too late to do that. Wonderful. Okay. Yeah, I can see a theme throughout your career of enjoying being busy and really needing a lot of variety because, you know, there again, you had a few businesses at the same time. And then that's one of the things you like the most about the FBI is, you know, it's different every single day. (laughs) Yes, the diversity was incredible, Mark, just incredible. Interesting. So what's in the future for your career, Bob? 
Well, I'm going to teach as long as they'll keep me at Texas A&M San Antonio. I really love teaching, Mark. I really do. I enjoy that almost as much as working with the Bureau. I just enjoy it. I know that I've made a difference with some of the students, and they've told me that. My evals are all good, and I just know I've made a difference, and that means a lot to me. I have so much to offer. I mean, I've done so many different things, different careers that I've touched on, and I'm able to bring those into every single class, every single class. You know, I didn't plan on asking you this, but I've interviewed a few other professors, and it's just occurring to me this would be appropriate. You know, any thoughts or advice for students these days? You know, anything you feel like you see that, you know, students in general doing well in terms of their academic career or maybe missed opportunities? Anything in that area? Hmm. Well, I can tell you this. For students, it's critical that they understand what critical thinking is, and it's critical that they know how to write and compose. Because in accounting, just like in the criminal justice system, everything may wind up in court, and it has to be grammatically accurate and correct to the point. I think all too often we see uh, students coming out of high school who can't really compose, and that's not a good thing because they hit college, and there are those of us that are sticklers on composition, and it really throws them back. So if you could talk to a student audience, I would tell them, and I do talk to students, by the way, quite often, I tell them, make sure you know how to write, how to compose, and that you're accurate, grammatically correct to the point, and you're going to go a long way. That's going to help. Perfect. Yeah, I see that in so many areas now, or that comment so much now that really it's communication skills that need to be developed, and particularly in writing. And Of course, everyone wants to blame our text nation, mm-hmm. <laughs> our texting society, which is, yes. is, there may be some truth to that. <laughs> well, there is, and I see it. I teach some online classes too, Mark, and uh, an online class is exactly that. I communicate with you online. Well, how do I communicate with you? Well, I communicate with you by you writing to me you composing something that I'm asking for. And some of the compositions, I can tell you this, there is a marked 100% difference from the first day they write something to the last day they write something. And I tell them in that last week, go back to the first two weeks and look at your composition and compare it to this one. And it's like night and day because I really harp on their composition skills. Interesting. Well, you're doing them a favor. That's very important. Well, we've been on the phone for about half an hour, and I always like to be respectful of our guest time, of course, so we probably should get to the final three questions. I end every podcast with the same three questions because I think it gives us some good consistency. The first one's usually the easiest. Career-wise, what's been your proudest moment? I have two, actually. One was being accepted in the FBI as a financial analyst. I was very proud of that. And extensively working the 9-11 case at FBI headquarters CIA headquarters and U.S. Embassy in the Middle East. Those are my two proudest moments. Right after I came back from my tour in headquarters, I was sent all over the country to talk to financial institutions about our 9-11 work and what the financial analysts found because it directly affected financial institutions as these hijackers lived right under our nose, working, going through financial institutions, living amongst us, and we kind of provided them with these are things to look for. Now, they're common knowledge now, but back then, in 01, it was not common knowledge. So those are, I think, my proudest moments. Interesting. So you were training bank employees on how to spot potential terrorist activity. Yes, we provided them with what we found 
as financial analysts working the 9-11 case. And I have a big presentation that I still give to this day, by the way, to students. You know, it's funny, Mark, but I ask students today, where were you in 9-11? And I'm hearing, well, I was in kindergarten. I was in third grade. You know, I was in fourth grade, you know, and they don't have a clue about 9-11. So it's, it's something in the history book. Well, I kind of wake them up to the 9-11 tragedy. Mm. Yes. Yeah, it's very real for a lot of us. Well, second question, tell us about a mistake you've made and, of course, what you learned from it. But the bigger mistake you're willing to share, the better. We like the big ones. Well, I don't regret my journey, not at all, and I'm still on it, by the way. Mm -hmm. But I don't think, and I don't think this is going to be counterproductive, but I would not have started college right out of high school. I lost some time because I was not ready. And I think there's some pressure now, and unfortunately there's pressure now, for students to get into college as soon as they can to get into the workforce. Well, in the Bureau, it's a little bit different. In the Bureau, they want you to bring something to the table. So they're not looking for people right out of college. They want people who have some work experience and some commitment and some permanence in a profession of some type. Bring something to the table. So I think the biggest mistake I made was going right into college, right out of high school. I wasn't ready. I just was not. I wouldn't change a thing, but I was not ready. And many young students today, well, they want to go to college because their parents want them to go or whatever. But I tell my students, and I talk to a lot of high school kids and junior high kids, and I tell them what to expect. But I also tell them don't rush into it because uh, if you mess up once, that's a blemish on your resume from there on out. Hmm. That is interesting. Definitely, you have a large number of students entering college not sure exactly where they want to go with it. They just exactly. feel like they should be in college. That's, that's an interesting point. Hmm. Thank you. There aren't, there aren't too many people, there aren't too many people, Mark, to know exactly what they're going to do right out of high school. Very few. And there are some. But most of them are like, well, what are you going to do? Well, I'm not sure. I don't know, but I'm going to go to college. Well, you know, do something else first. Find out what it's like without college, and then you're going to go back and say, you know what, I'm going to go back and get it. Because when I went back, Mark, I had a 4.0 after that. Mm. Sure, you knew what you wanted. That makes exactly. sense. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it's interesting because they're actually, in the school system now, that career choice is being pushed earlier and earlier in high school, even. Yes. Okay. Well, last question, and then we'll go ahead and close it down. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? My former ASAC, which is Assistant Special Agent in Charge here in San Antonio, who went on to become, by the way, the Executive Assistant Deputy Director of the Bureau, once told me, he said, Bob, if it's illegal, if it's immoral, or if it's unethical, don't do it. Now, Mark, I teach ethics in the criminal justice system here at A&M. And those words are the first words spoken on the first day of class. And I build on those words for the rest of the semester. Mm. That's good advice. So many of us like to think there's all these gray areas. And it's really just best if you stay out of those gray areas. (laughs) Not sure they're so gray. (laughs) Those of us that are certified either as a CPA or a CFE or a private investigator, we have to take ethics trainings every year. And we look at it and go, oh, man, i got to take my two hours of ethics. Every time I take that course, Mark, and I have to take it every year for two different organizations and for the university, by the way, three different organizations, I always refresh my memory and it just kind of reinvigorates the fact that, look, ethics matter. Ethics matter. And they relate to profession. Okay, And usually ethics are built off of morals. 
So that advice that he gave me was, to this day, it rings true. Well, that that is good advice, Tim. So I appreciate that. Thank you. That's, that's very direct. I appreciate your directness. You're very welcome. Well, for our audience, this has been Life in the County, a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. If you haven't yet visited the website, please do so, of course. That's whereaccountantsgo.com. You're going to find the show notes for this episode and every other episode we've done. You'll find a job board for the Texas area, as well as links to all the different accounting certifications and maybe more importantly, links to some review courses for the accounting certifications because that can really be a big help. Once again, that website is www.whereaccountsgo.com. Bob, we really do appreciate you sharing your story with us. Thank you very, very much. You're very welcome, and I appreciate the opportunity of doing this. Thank you very much, Mark. No problem. We'll see everyone next week. There's more to come.